And I truly do hope that this morning for you, you echo those words, that it is well with my soul. If you have a copy of God's Word, I do invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Galatians. We will be spending our time in Galatians chapter 2. You can also find this text in your uh, bulletin um, along with the brief outline of today's message. Today we are continuing a series that we started last week. Last week we began looking at the solas of the Protestant Reformation and doing so from a biblical perspective. For it's one thing to, to teach theology, to teach um, historical truth from the church, but it's another thing altogether to do so from a biblical basis. And that should always be our goal, is that what we say must be backed up with Scripture, lest we run the risk that the Catholic Church did around the time of the Protestant Reformation. Today we're going to be talking about sola fide, or by faith alone, a very necessary component to our understanding of salvation. And it's important to note that during the Protestant Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church did have an understanding of faith and how it played a part in salvation. And in some ways, they got parts of it right. But, and that's important, but they also tied to that faith plus Faith plus works, faith plus obedience, faith plus penance, faith plus tithing. Um, all of these things they, they added to create this unique system for salvation. Um, and of course, the reformers turned against that teaching, turned away from that practice, and went to the word of God. And the conclusion of that long theological time period is what we now know. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. And we're going to see that this morning in our text. This is essential to Paul's letter to the church of Galatia. There was a lot going on and we'll get to that in a moment. But for now just know we proclaim something to you this morning that comes from God's word and because it's from God himself it is good it is necessary and it will bless you as his people so let us go to his word this morning and hear it for ourselves. this good news that has been declared and recorded for us the word of the Lord we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What a promise. What a Savior. Let us go to him now in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. O oh Lord, as we come to this text this morning, and we come into a time of study of your word and of these truths, we all know our own individual hearts and how easy it is to want to add a plus to faith. To want to add a condition, our good works, our obedience, our background, our heritage, whatever it may be, Lord, it is so easy for the heart of man to want to include himself or herself there. But I pray that you would show us this morning through your word that all we need is you and you are enough. Through your spirit, Lord, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might not only hear and see your word, but that we might receive its truth and it might shape our lives today and every day. This can only be done in your name, so we pray it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes this letter to the Galatian church due to a group of people that are known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers are Jewish believers interacting with the Gentile believers. It's a, it's a very ethnically diverse congregation. And the Jewish believers are telling the Gentiles that you now must observe the Jewish laws. You're on like level one of Christian, but we're level 10. And to really, truly be Christian... You've, you've got it right, but here are the things you've got to add. Circumcision, the uh, practice of food observance, and the washing rituals, and all of these things that were tied to the Old Covenant and the Old Testament law that they weren't doing, that they had never done, that was completely foreign to the Gentiles. And this as you can imagine, was causing great conflict in the church and great confusion for the Gentiles. So much so that this mindset, that this belief even affected some of the apostles, as we'll see here in a moment. But Paul, Paul fought hard against this idea. He fought hard against this belief that you have to add something to faith, to belief, to truly be saved. So much so, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Make no mistake, this is a different gospel that you're preaching. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. And want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. Greek word anathema. 
As we've said it before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema. There's only one truth. There is only one way for salvation. Anything added, whoever it comes from, if it is not in accord with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, paid for the forgiveness of the sins of God's children, anything else added to that is anathema. The purity of the gospel was at stake. And like I said just a moment ago, it went all the way to the top. What we read in our text is halfway through a conversation Paul was having with Peter. Peter, of all people, in Antioch, misapplied through his actions, mistaught this gospel. You see, Peter was living his life. He was sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, and then the Jews showed up. And what did Peter do? He got nervous. He got nervous and he got away from the table of the Gentiles and went to the table of the Jews. Even worse, he wouldn't even talk to the Gentiles. He wouldn't interact with them. He wouldn't relate to them at all. We read here and elsewhere, Paul says, and I had to confront him to his face. Peter became embarrassed at eating non-kosher foods. Paul says, the gospel is at stake, Peter. And our text this morning plays out that conversation for us, the second half of it anyway. And by doing so, Paul reminds Peter and us, justification is by faith alone. And in no other way. We're going to see this in three ways in our text this morning. First, we're going to see we are justified through faith in Christ alone in 15 and 16. And then what Paul is going to do in the latter half of this text, he's then going to compare the two. Okay? What can I get from works and what can I get from faith? So if we're justified through faith in Christ alone, how does works and how does faith play into that? And we're going to see each of them in subsequent verses. 17 and 18, we're going to learn about the law and works. And then 19 to 21, we're going to talk about faith and life. But let's begin with this declaration. We're justified through faith in Christ alone. Peter's actions put everything at risk. Whether he was fully realizing it or not, he was verifying people like the Judaizers who were teaching faith plus Jewish practice, ostracizing the Gentiles. And Paul, beginning his argument in this section, he looks at Peter and he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. What does that mean? It's an interesting statement. Um, we need to be very careful here to analyze what he is and isn't saying. Paul is not affirming that Jews are better than Gentiles or only Gentiles are sinful. Please do not read that into this text. That is not what he is proclaiming. He has called himself the chief amongst sinners who is a Jew. So Paul is not going one way or another on that scale. Now, what Paul is doing here is using a term that would have been very familiar to Peter. Gentile sinners referred to, and Jewish people use this, to people who did not observe the Jewish laws and practices. 
So everyone that wasn't a Jew was inherently a Gentile sinner because they weren't keeping the kosher food laws. They weren't practicing circumcision. And so be careful that you don't hang too much on that term sinner here. A better translation for me would be lawbreakers. You Gentile lawbreakers. You don't adhere to the Jewish law code. And he's telling Peter, though, you are a Jew. You know that law code. You lived under that law code. You practiced under that law code. And yet you too met Christ. You too know what is true. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Just because you're a Jew does not mark you as special or unique. You are on the same field as the Gentiles, whether they observe the Jewish laws or not. And, or yet, you know, faith is through Jesus Christ. You personally know. You, of all people, have lived it out, have been told again and again and again and again. I mean, in the list of people in the Bible to, to emulate, Peter's not high on my list. I would not want to be the Apostle Peter because most often when we talk about him, he's being rebuked by God or by someone else. Yet, if there was someone in the Bible that I probably fit, it would be someone like Peter. Because aren't we prone to the same behavior, brothers and sisters? Aren't we prone to either take our, our background or maybe you were born in the church. Maybe um, you have always um, gone to church and you've always heard these truths. And, and it's very easy, especially for us in reform circles, to elevate ourselves in an unhealthy way. I'm not like those unregenerate fill in the blank. It's a temptation that's in all of us and it was found here. But what's really happening but at the bottom level, faith in Jesus Christ, not by works of the law. When you strip it all away, the, the, the cultural, the, um, all that's going on, the discussion really boils down to how am I saved? Is it my history? Is it my background? Is it my tradition? Is it my learning? No. Faith in Jesus Christ. Peter, you know this. You know this. And so Paul says it again. We have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. State it again. No one. This is Paul here. When we think of someone on the positive, once again, someone we might want to emulate, like post-conversion, maybe it's Paul, writer of a majority of the books of the New Testament, zealous for Christ, gave up his life for Christ. He wouldn't be a bad one to go, I want to live like that. And even Paul is going, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't work my way into heaven. I could not work my way before God. I could not earn it, and neither can you, Peter, and neither can any of us today. We must trust in Jesus Christ by faith. And one of the reasons Paul comes down so hard on Peter is he should have known better. He should have known better. But fear is a, 
um, a strong factor. It can be a strong factor for us today. Uh, fear of ridicule, fear of uh, messing up, fear of saying the wrong thing. I think a lot of times that's why many of us uh, shy away from evangelism. We shy away from sharing our faith because maybe they ask a question we don't know the answer to and we look foolish and then the gospel's at risk. I, I don't know if that always goes through our head 100% of the time, but it most often goes through mine. It reminds me of a 1966 TV special it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Um, that's where my mind is lately. It's that time of year. There's a quote uh, by one of the key figures in it. His name is Linus. He believes in the great pumpkin. I'm going to encourage you to uh, take a look at the TV special. It'll be airing soon, and it's, it's fantastic. Uh, but he says this. There are three things I've learned to never discuss with anyone. Religion, politics, and the great pumpkin. You see, he just got a thrashing from his sister for proclaiming his belief. And it caused him to, to turn inward, to shy away from proclaiming this truth that he so vehemently held to. It caused him to, to recoil. And our faith, if it's not lived out, James says, you show me your faith without your works, I will show you my faith by my works. What I believe will come out in how I live. And that's what Paul is so worried about with Peter. Peter, what are you saying? We know what you believe, but the actions that you're taking do not demonstrate it. You've got to get yourself together. Just this past week, we celebrate, um, during this whole month, we celebrate reformers. Uh, but there's two men that came up on my news feed Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, English reformers. They were burned at the stake for preaching justification by faith, this very truth. They took the opposite stance, not I'm going to shy away, but I'm going to preach it. Whatever may happen, may happen. They were tied together to the stake, and on that pyre were quoted as saying thus, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley. Play the man. We shall this day light a candle in England by God's grace that will never be put out. I just encourage us this morning. If you believe you are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then live it out to the end, whatever the cost. And there may come a time and it may come soon that we have to pay a cost for what we believe. We practice freely and openly and we celebrate that today. But there may come a time that it may be through tears that we say those same truths and will we? My prayer is that we would. Well, from here, Paul is going to justify his answer. He's going to bolster what he's just told us, this solid, important truth. And he's going to do so from two perspectives. As I mentioned earlier, he's going to go from the perspective of the law and then the perspective of faith. Let's take a moment and look at the law in 17 and 18. And it's important uh, to realize as we talk about this topic that we don't um, fall into the trap of saying Paul doesn't like the law, um, that he's against the law. In fact, by saying that we're justified by faith, that does not do away with the law, that I can do whatever I want, that it, law does not matter. You can see Paul's letter to the book of Romans. He makes a very clear treatise on the fact that not only are we justified by faith, but our law, the law matters and our actions matter. But Paul does what he often does, and it's quite brilliant. He asks a question. 
And from here, it's important to note he's turning his attention away from Peter and to the church. He's turning back to the church. His focus is upon them, and he says this, If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Paul is saying here, one, we are justified in Christ. Please hear that. If you hear nothing else today, if you tune me out to hear these, these few words, you are justified in Christ and receive it by faith. That's the gospel. That's the most important thing I can tell you today. If you walk away hearing anything from me, hear that. But also, we need to be careful when we think about sin. Paul is specifically looking at Jewish law and Jewish law code, as are the Judaizers. And some people propose Paul and others that were telling Jewish Christians that you no longer have to do this, that they were causing them to sin. By telling a Jewish Christian you don't have to observe the Jewish laws, you are actively putting them in sin. And the reason he also says here, are you not now causing Christ to be in sin? Well, Jesus did the same thing. We can think about it. He healed on the Sabbath. His disciples picked grain on the Sabbath. He touched those who were leprous and sick. He associated with sinners. And each time this took place, what was the Pharisees' response? You lawbreaker. You claim to be a rabbi. You claim to be a biblical scholar and a biblical teacher. But clearly you cannot do that. And Jesus every time then teaches them about himself. You say you know what that means. You say you understand to give a tenth and appreciate that. But you do not give of your heart. You say that you understand the law and that you're the teacher of the law, yet you do not recognize me. And so, Paul here, Jesus, they were accused of being lawbreakers, of being creators of sin. Because they would dare to tell the Jews, you don't have to practice that. And certainly you don't have to tell the Gentiles to do it. The law of God teaches us how to obey God. Specifically speaking for Israel, it provided a civil, ceremonial, and moral requirements to set them apart and keep them a holy people. And some of that was specific to Israel as a nation. Jesus teaches this law in his three-year journey as he walked along the earth, explaining how the Pharisees and others misunderstood its purpose. And oh, if we would have the time to, to delve into that this morning but I, I tell you, Jesus says this in simplest terms. You want to understand the law? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. On this rest all of the law and the prophets. Jesus summarizing the entirety of the Old Testament law in those two commands. Love God and love others with all of yourself. And so we can answer the question, what is the intent of the law or what does the law do for us by asking ourselves, how are you doing with those commands? How's that working out for your life? How was it this morning getting ready with your children? How was it this morning when that person cut you off coming out of your neighborhood? How's it been this morning devoting all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the praise and glory of God, 100% of who you are? How's that been working for you? I'll tell you what, every time we've had a chance to pray, I've prayed about something I've done today. I didn't get past today. 
in my repentance. All my prayers today have been prayers of repentance. What does the law do for me? The law shows me my heart. The law shows me how God says standard perfection, and I can't even get close. I can't do it. The law reveals our heart. The law demonstrates God's standard. And most importantly, what does the law do but pull us to him? The law pulls us to him, and we have to go and say, I am sorry, God, I can't do it. I cannot do it. It can't save me because I can't accomplish it. I can't complete it. I give you this quote from Paul. Is Christ then a servant of sin? He answers, certainly not. Certainly not. Our sin does not make Jesus the author of sin. And telling the Jewish people they don't have to adhere to the Jewish dietary laws or circumcision or the Gentiles did not make them any more sinners than they already were. And on the opposite side of that, saying we're justified by Christ through faith does not make us more holy. We are not holy without Christ and are only holy because of Christ. Please understand that. You cannot or nor will you be holy without Christ. But in Christ, you cannot be any less holy than you are now. And that's not to diminish Christ's holiness. That's actually to amplify it. I like the way Dr. John Piper explains um, this section. You know, Paul asks, if I rebuild what I tore down, do I prove myself to be a transgressor? And he says this, God gave the law originally as a railroad track to guide Israel's obedience. The engine was supposed to pull the person along the track as God's grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the coupling between our car and the engine was faith. So that in the Old Testament, like the New, salvation was by grace through faith along the track of obedience, or the New Testament word, sanctification. But this way of sanctification is so uncomplimentary to the human ego. It's not been very popular, and it's not today, is it? The Pharisees and many other Jews with them, they did something amazing. They took that railroad track and they bent it upwards. They uncoupled the rails and they turned it into a ladder and hung it upon heaven's door. And then they began climbing, thinking now they could achieve God or be one with God or reach unto God. This is legalism. Making the law into a list of steps which we use to demonstrate our fitness to attain heaven. While the track is on the ground, some of the ceremonial ties can be pulled up without ruining the track. But as a ladder, every wrong is necessary. Therefore, you must hang upon everything that it says perfectly. This is what Paul tore down, the ladder. He tore down the legalistic misuse of the law. You transgress the law of God when you erect the ladder to heaven on which you will demonstrate your fitness for salvation. The transgression against God is to presume you can climb the way on your own as if he is not needed. Paul is not going to build the ladder back up that he just tore down. He's not going to hang it again, that which he has fought hard to dismantle. Paul is saying that proclaiming this truth, he nor Jesus is the creator of sin. Sin comes by our believing that faith plus works or simply works are enough to get us to heaven. 
But what we see in our last section is, once again, Paul tending us back to, then how are we saved? Where do we come? How is this concluded? It's concluded with faith. Look with me at our final verses to see this. One of the reasons, you know, I love studying Paul is he is very capable of taking theological truth and then giving you a a practical, personal example of what that really means. He knows how to um, speak to his people. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. What did the law do for Paul? It killed him. The law revealed his heart. What does he do? He repents of his sin and of his practices. He turns from self-righteousness and becomes wholly dependent upon God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The law brought forth death for Paul and for everyone who seeks to use it to become right before God. And then he gives one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew that it was for him that Jesus died. And he died a gruesome death. Make no mistake about it. Jesus died in full obedience to the law. He was the only one to have ever walked the earth and fully, perfectly fulfilled the law of God in its action and in its intent. By Christ's death, so died the sins of the elect. In some ways, we really do die with Christ. His death gives us life. We live today because of Christ. Our lives reflect Christ. Our lives demonstrate Christ. Our lives are a testament to Christ. We are not our own. You have been bought. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we get to that place this morning? If you're here and you're saying to yourself, I want that. That is me. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to have. Receive it by faith. All you bring to the table is the sin that made it necessary. Humble your heart. Kneel before God and say, give that to me, O Lord. I cannot find it anywhere else. There's salvation nowhere else. I cannot work my way there. And I'm tired of trying. That's what you do. And my prayer is that everyone here has made that declaration and you live that out in your life, that you echo the words of Paul. He concludes, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The reality is, if we could work our way to it, then we're better than Christ, we're more important than Christ, and he is not necessary. And heaven help you if you're able to make that statement today in good faith. Let's talk after, come find me afterwards. We need to have a long discussion. Because the reality is, we are sinners. Why is it so important to declare sola fide or by faith alone? Because that's the only place you're going to find rest. If you truly do believe you can work your way to heaven, you will stress and struggle every day for the rest of your life, hoping that you've done enough. Fearing that you've messed up more times than you've got it right. 
That's not a way to live. That's not a way to live, brothers and sisters. But in Christ, there is life. My prayer for you in in closing this morning is that you can make this statement for yourself. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live is no longer mine, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. That is what we mean when we say by faith alone. And may it not be so any other way. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord. If I trusted my own works, I would be one who is quickly damned. I know my works. I know my heart. I know my actions. If it was up to me, I would be one to be pitied above all. But we praise you and we celebrate you and we declare you sovereign Lord Almighty God today. For you saved us. And you knew we couldn't do it on our own. You knew we couldn't do it at all. And so you offer it as a free gift. You tell us to come to you by faith. To rest in the finished work of Christ and receive it. And that's it. Father, we thank you for the church in Galatia. And their ability to struggle and to go through these issues. That we might have this truth proclaimed for us today. I pray that we would live it out in our lives. In our interactions with our family and our friends and with one another. We need help, O Lord. So help us. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name.